Hey, it's Jeff. Thanks for downloading this podcast. And do yourself a favor to hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. Come on, let's go to the Blue Hotel. This time, she's a warrior princess, she's star of stage and screen, the second coming of Shania, current reigning Woody's queen of Halloween, queen of the drink, a Dora-nominated actor who plays sporty in the Spice Queens, reads for drag queen story times, has won drag competitions across Toronto, has had starring roles, and will continue to have starring roles on CBC, Global TV, and CTV, She's everyone's favorite small town girl turned big city star. Welcome to the Blue Hotel Podcast. The beautiful Eric Rich, a.k.a. Lucy Flawless. Hello, Jeff. How are you? I'm well. Some people would consider themselves lucky to have one cool handle, but you have two. Eric Rich sounds very perfect for stage and screen, right? Lucy Flawless and Eric Rich. We know that one name you've given yourself is, is Rich your real last name? in name only for now (laughs) for now for now my partner is always saying don't say you can't afford don't say you don't have enough don't say any of those things because manifestation is rooted in knowing there's abundance it's already happened you have to think that way she speaks of your raising your vibrations And and at first i thought that's very woo but the new me says it actually works because i've been doing it Bowie did it in the early 70s. He created this this world in which everything was abundant, and then it became that. Um, you said the word manifesting. Um, also, what was kind of what was um, jumping out at me, actually, a little story, if you don't mind me telling. One time I had a very, very chatty Uber driver who was giving me wonderful life advice, and one of the things he told me, he said about manifesting yes that's a whole thing but make sure to be specific with your thoughts because when you are putting out your goals and your aspirations and you're manifesting these things you've got to be specific with it because you can say things like i want a new car and you could get a new car but that new car could be worse than your old one it could have problems your old one didn't have but you need to be specific i want that new well-working tesla or whatever it is that you want and when you are specific about your intentions and your goals, then those good things will come back around to you. I do believe it's true. The question to me this morning was, funny you say it, what kind of car do you wish to have? And of course I said, I said a Porsche Carrera. And she said, but what color? (laughs) (laughs) Be positive. That's the key, really. Among the ways people describe you is feisty farm girl from Northern Ontario. Tell us more about that. For sure. So I grew up outside of Powassan, Ontario. Have you heard of Powassan? It's outside of North Bay. Well, the sign says the population's about 3,000 people, but that's after the uh, the amalgamation of the year 2000 or whenever they amalgamated. So it's a few towns. It's about 1,000 people. Cute little town. You know, we have a maple syrup festival every year. It's pretty quiet. Kind of typical northern town, but I tell you, I was not a typical northern boy growing up in that town. So I moved to Toronto quite quickly. I went to university for theater 
So I went to theater school and then stayed in Toronto because I was like, this is the path I'm on. And uh, the theater very quickly turned into drag and it's all kind of one fabulously muddled path and journey that I've been on since then. I love mm -hmm. it. Let's go back to those days. You said uh, I wasn't your typical uh, northern town boy. It reminds me of, I forget the TV show, uh, Little Britain, USA. I'm the only gay in the village. Did you feel like the only or, or were you one of a few? I'm speaking to feeling different. I definitely, like, in my town and amongst my family and my close circles, definitely was a bit of a, a rainbow sheep, we'll say. Um, not that I came out until after I moved to Toronto, but was also into theater and performing. And, you know, we were a hockey family in a hockey town. And that was also a whole other kind of factor about feeling like a bit of an outsider. But I did also have lots of friends and there was theater to do and community theater and stuff. And that was like a lot of the community, the first kind of community I found and the other queer people I met too. Um, were all involved in the theater. So that was definitely like my my avenue for finding my people. Then and now, it still is today. I wonder about your perspective on people that are now the age you were then when you felt alone outside of the theater aspect of what you were doing. Do you think there's more opportunity and more inclusion from what you can see among young people now? Yes, absolutely. I'd say one of the major factors that is changing that is the internet. I understand the internet was around when I was growing up in Powassan, but we did not have it in Powassan. So like, even when I moved to Toronto and would hear about people my own age who were from just even like towns just as big as Powassan, but in Southern Ontario, so they could have high speed internet at like any time and hearing about the people they knew and they met all these queer people from all these towns around it. And they had all these friend circles because they found each other on the internet and stuff. I was like, wow, that was not something I had at all. And it is something that is much more widespread these days. And, you know, there's a lot of things I don't like about social media, but the community and the kind of like globalization of queer people, I think has been a really, really amazing one. And I think it's really contributed to the acceptance of queer people, trans people. What's the thing you least like about social media? That everyone <laughs> has an opinion and apparently we're entitled to it. I used to love back in the day when Instagram was like cool pictures in chronological order. There was no algorithm trying to sell you something or somebody else's page. It was just like your friends and their photo they took. It used to be fun back in the day, but these days it's just like millions of little soapboxes that just like has sucked the fun out of what social media used to be. I also feel like I'm kind of obliged to do social media to promote myself and my work and that's how you put yourself out there and get booked for things and like i just don't like it <laughs> like you know i'm a live performer i like being in front of an audience and like in a a club or a theater or something like that so it's just like social media doesn't have that aspect to it and i don't like feeling like i need well, I tell you, your The Lucy Flawless page on Instagram is inspiring. It's uh, aesthetically appealing. Uh, your smile sells you. Uh, and, 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 I, and keep doing it because you know what? There's lots of people that really count on you to share what you're up to, what you're doing, promoting the things that you're going to be uh, starring in or being a part of. So I get it. I feel the same way. But I like to shine a light on other people, other things I care about, and things I want people to maybe, you know, come out and see. So it's a lot better than Facebook.
That's true. That's true. And I am, I should maybe flip my perspective on it. I'm also talking about it at the beginning of pride month when everything is slammed so busy and I'm just like, Oh my God, I just want to be a week off or something, something. So I'm also speaking from that kind of overwhelmed perspective right now because we're diving right into the thick of it right now. Let me take you back in my little brain and, and get some feedback from you about um, sort of correlate to, to your own life. It was 1996 uh, and seven. I had the pleasure of working as a, as a rep, a marketing rep for Sony Music, the label, which among other things, Eric, um, put me on the team that came to Woody's on Church Street to do album release parties for Columbia Records. We had Celine Dion, Mariah Carey, Barbara Streisand with new records in that period. And it was so much fun. And it was an era for me of self-discovery as a, as a man that felt different, bisexual, as I came to understand. I'd love you to share how and where and when you embrace the idea of dressing so fabulously for starters. You know, I was even one of those kids that used to just like, I had a costume box and there was something in there for every occasion. My first Halloween ever, my parents dressed me up as Goldilocks in a full wig and a dress and everything. They dressed my cousin Katie up as a little pirate too. So we were both in drag that Halloween. But I tell them, like, y'all were asking for this because you put me in drag my first Halloween and there's no way I asked for that. I was only a year old. But it was always just like, you know what I mean? I always loved performing really and entertaining and like was the kind of kid I would rope my sister and my cousins into like, okay, we're going to spend today making a variety show that we're performing for our parents tonight. We're going to have costumes and skits and everything. Like that was how we spent our time, how we did our thing. And that always came as just dressing up and playing all these like kooky characters that we came up with and stuff like that. And then when it came to actually like evolving into drag, it actually happened very like not really of my volition, I don't think. I just started getting cast in acting roles that were in drag. I always say like if you're a gay actor, get ready for it. You're going to get cast as a drag queen because that's just the way the industry is going to go. That's how it worked for me. And it happened a few times. And then I started getting cast as a backup dancer for some queens too. And then it was just all of a sudden one pride. There was Lucy Flawless. She's the, hey, who's she? We know, we know. She, he's that backup dancer guy. It happened very, very seamlessly. So progression from theater maker into drag queen. But it's all the same to me, really. Tell me about uh, your, um, your ability to uh, use makeup. How young were you? Who helped you? How young was I? Um, let's see, when did I start doing drag? I think it was 23, 24. I knew nothing about makeup. I uh, started out though, would just ask all my friends who were women, like, you got some makeup for me. Makeup's also very expensive. And so like, if you're just gonna kind of buy uh, the starter pack for doing drag, it is an expensive, like initial investment. So I would just borrow makeup from my friends. And would ask them to, but I mean, at the end of the day, they weren't really doing drag makeup or my friends who were just like women doing their natural everyday makeup. But you know what I mean? Learn what I can, learn what I can, watch as many YouTube videos as I can. It really is just practice make perfect. And I had to like do my makeup 500 times on my own face before it could be like, okay, I got this. Even though there's still like so much to be learned. I really just had to go through the motions and do it that many times because I'm not the kind of learner that I can watch a video and just do it. If it's choreography, I can. Sure, no problem. I could watch a few counts of eggs and bust it out, no problem. But when it was doing makeup, just not my skill set. Usually I'm a quick learner and with a lot of skills in drag, I was not. So I had to learn to be patient with myself. 
your photos are amazing. The ones we used to to promote this podcast episode are, are perfect. So thanks for sending some along. How long does it take to do makeup? If I'm doing it for like, you know, a photo shoot or a commercial or something, I'll probably give myself three hours. But if I'm doing like just going out to a bar or something, I can do two easy. What about outfits? What about the clothing you choose to wear? Where do you get it? So I get most of my stuff made for me. I have a few friends who uh, make outfits that are my pretty close friends now. And being a dry queen, it's lovely to have things custom made to your measurements because oftentimes we don't have similar measurements to what a woman buying a clothing at a store, what those measurements would have. And oftentimes too, like we're doing outfits for the stage. So we need rhinestones and sequins and like it shouldn't look like something you can just buy out of a store, you know. So I usually get my friends to make them custom for me, which is nice because then we can just come up with whatever we like and uh, get very campy with it, kind of conceptual with it. It's a lot of fun. Who inspired you most that you saw on the big screen that was either a woman or somebody dressed in drag? Who was the first person you went, oh my God, that? You know what? For me, it wasn't on the big screen. It was live at a drag show. Because before I started seeing drag shows live, I had seen some things on TV. I'd seen The Birdcage. And I'd seen Rocky Horror, obviously, and some things like that. So I knew like what a drag queen was, but didn't really know what would a drag queen be doing at her show tonight. I never even really thought about it either. I kind of just had like the birdcage as a reference. And then when I started to go out and see shows, I started to really see like all the different skills that a drag queen needed and all these things that was similar to what I was already doing. And all these, you know, variety skits I'd been making up my whole life. I was like, oh, this is all very similar. And like, in some ways, I was like, this is what I've been doing this whole time. I just haven't had a wig on. Sometimes I have, but like, this is all so, so similar. Also watching too, I felt like there wasn't really anybody in Toronto who I was seeing at that time that was like doing it the way that I would. So I was like, I think I should make this happen. What did you want to do that you weren't seeing? So the one thing right now, and if you ask anybody who comes to see my shows, I say, you know, I've got multitudes of talents and vibes and skills, and I can do anything, absolutely. But anybody else in Toronto will tell you that I am the country queen. That is my thing, and that is what I do. You know what I mean? I grew up on the far west side of Powassan, so when Shania Twain comes on and I'm wearing a gingham outfit, it just, it works. It's right. And it was one of the things, too, I always would, like, include it into my shows. I always include a lot of like Broadway musical theater and stuff as well because it's also my background. But when I do the country, people are like, they see it and they see that that's right and how good of a fit that is and they would tell me. And it was one of those things I was like, oh, okay, people really receive this well and really react to this well even if they like can't stand country music. People would come up to me and be like, I, I hate it but love watching you do it because it's just right. I'm like, okay, that's really interesting. I'm like, nobody like does Dolly Parton and Shania Twain anywhere. And just me coming from my little town, I'm like, oh, I know there are tons of people out here coming from places like I did. And if people were out here doing the chicks and this kind of music, like I would be living my life. So it was something that I always wanted to include into my show that then evolved into like a very big part of the stage persona of Lucy Flawless. Here, this one. The way we feel in our skin, whether we're wearing this or wearing that or with these people or this environment, tell us 
the way you feel in your skin when you're dressed up uh, as Shania versus the way you felt an hour or two before when you weren't. How would you characterize the difference? Um, I would say that the personalities are similar, but when I am dressed up under the stage lights in front of an audience, it is Lucy is like Eric dialed up to 11, 12, or 13. You know, it's not so much of a character unless that is something I'm doing. And I like to do that as well. You know, sometimes it'll be like a literal impersonation or I'm just like, ooh, I'm dressed up this kind of like a, a pinup sailor girl costume. So I'm just going to change the way I move and like adopt characteristics of that vibe type thing. But generally it is kind of just me to the utmost degree. You know, she's on. It's me, but I'm on. I'm on stage. Everyone's listening. Everyone's watching every movement, listening to everything I say. So I've got to make it a joke. Got to make it funny. Got to make this look good. It's a fun uh, thing to to see and to have witnessed. And it wasn't always that way. I think back in the day, I was trying to put on a bit more of a character until I just realized, like, I'm not that's not what's going to win people over. That's not what's going to make people have fun. That's not what's going to, like, really pop off at these shows. You just got to be yourself. But, like, bigger, badder, and better than ever. Rock stars talk about, often talk about, and all performers, so much energy and so the lights, the crowd, the feeling you have when you're doing it, when you're on the stage. And then there's maybe, for some, a coming down back in your own kind of not that world. Is, is, is it difficult to transition back to not being under the lights? My problem is my adrenaline from the show pumps through my veins for hours afterwards and I can't sleep. I'm up all hours of the night just like the show ended hours ago and like I'm not in front of everybody, but like I just can't sleep because it is such a rush and you have so much adrenaline. It is so like such a full body, full like, full mind, full everything, like, you know what I mean? Your whole self is in that, that I just like, I would love to think that it would tucker me out and that I would have this, I would love to have a come down. I would love to just fall right into my bed. But uh, I find that that's not the case. I'm just like up and it wires me up. And like, I'm thinking about the show, what happened and what we did, who said what and stuff like that. What do you do? You wait? Yeah, I usually eat something, smoke some weed, play my Switch. And just kind of, you know, at the end of the day, it's not, that's not a terrible thing to, to be combating as post-show adrenaline related. So it's fine. I get to sleep eventually. It's not like I have a day job, so I can sleep in as long as I like. People, Eric, people will often confuse gender identity with sexual preference. Gender identity is how you define yourself in relation to your gender. Sexual orientation is how you define yourself through the people you fall in lust or love with or are attracted to. Um, do you find that people come to you with questions or confusions around gender versus sexuality? Well, good question. Probably, I'll say yes, like when I was first starting out, because that was in like 2015, 2016. And I think just a lot of people are a lot wiser to a lot of things nowadays than we were even that short eight years ago. But I find that... These days, people are very familiar with drag and, and how it works. And there's lots of, like, everybody's a drag fan, right? It's been on television. It's on MTV and Netflix and have complicated feelings about the reality TV shows that everybody has seen. But it really has given a lot of visibility to a lot of people and their stories and their backgrounds. I think a lot of people have learned a lot 
about gender, about sexual expression, about everything, really, that I find people, I don't, I don't find it as much as it used to be. There's a lot less of like people having confusion about that kind of thing. There's a lot less of like uh, problematic behavior for people like chasing some drag queens or trans women after shows and things like that. We used to have a lot more of that out and about in the streets, but I think that people have wisened up and smartened up a lot over the years, at least since I've started. I'm sure like that's a naive answer. And I'm sure that somebody else would have a very different one, but that is something I have witnessed over the years that it has, like, I think people are wiser. I wonder about this because as far as we've come, see these stories about this pushback, even, even in Collingwood, Ontario, not far from where I live, which seems to be, you know, a satellite of Toronto. It's like Toronto North. A lot of people moved up here because there's more, there's more wide open spaces and it's more chill. There's less traffic. But then I heard there was going to be a protest one morning as, as, as Pride Month started. And I thought, really? What, what are you protesting? The, the drag queens? Oh, really? Okay. Apparently, it turned out really well because there was a lot of love among the allies and supporters. And there were so many people that were on that side of it that the other side just didn't have a voice. But I wonder this, Eric, and maybe you can weigh in on it. One thing I think is that they don't have the right information. They're worried that drag queens are, you know, this word grooming. They're coming to change our children into something that they're not. That's one thing. So that's lack of information or misinformation. And that, to me, is rooted in fear. Fear that what? Your world's going to be turned upside down. Your kids aren't going to be what you thought you raised them to be. What do you make of all of it? It's a very, like, interesting time to be a drag performer right now because, uh, there's a lot of that. And it's a lot of like, there's so much hate and confusion going on, but those are all people that aren't in relation to drag performers at all. I don't think any of them know a single drag performer because if they did, I really think that they would be like, oh, you know, I'm sure a lot of my family members and a lot of people I know up in Powassan, Ontario, hear these things and go, not every drag performer is a pedophile and a groomer because my nephew is one and I know he isn't. Do you know what I mean? Like just that kind of thing where I feel like a lot of people don't have that relation. So they hear it and they believe it. And it's something for them to stand behind and they go for it. And it's like crazy right now. The things people are saying about someone they don't know, the way people just take the liberty to say these things on social media, to put that hate out in the world, to accuse me and other people like me of things that's like, what? How can you just say that about somebody? Also, the grooming, the insistency on grooming. And it's like, you're the ones taking your kids to church and telling them how to live and what to do. Like, that is literal grooming. They're calling us groomers because we escaped the grooming of what this patriarchal society is. And they're calling us groomers. No, no, <laughs> that's not the case at all. That's not the case. It's very frustrating and like the way it's come and just blown up this year, it's like, it's frustrating to see and it's frustrating to have that kind of negativity uh, sent directly towards me. I have been the target for it a few times because I do story times. I've also done some big events like when I did the Raptors Pride Night and the Maple Leafs Pride Night, like the Raptors and the Maple Leafs put that stuff on their social media and people were just like, just accusing me of all kinds of things. And uh, I actually don't mind being 
the target for that because I can kind of brush it off easily. And it's like, cool, let me be the target to open up these conversations. And I don't care because like, it's fine. But at this point now, this pride, uh, that kind of attitude has cost me work. It's cost me money. It's cost me opportunities. People are backing out of things because they're afraid of the heterosexual backlash. And it's like, okay, you are like coming from a bank account now. Like that's enough of that. It's affecting our income and our livelihoods now, just because these people, I don't know. I don't know why, like, I don't know why they're so insistent on ruining our lives. Part of the problem certainly has to be, and it's not specific just to this subject, it's people taking in consuming uh, headlines. The way a headline is written can really um, skew the story um, to one side or another or, or whatever side the, the writer or the organization or the media outlet is, is, is taking a stance upon. So yeah, going deeper into, a, into an issue or into a story is what people need to do. And, and I think that I go back to 96, 97 when I was at Woody's for the, for the, for the drag performances specific to releases around uh, legendary musicians. And, and the thing is, all we did was have fun. It was fun. There was no negativity. It was, do you guys want to have fun? Come with me. And this is, this is fun. This is funny. This is entertaining. There was never any sort of negative connotation. And this was 30 years ago almost. And nobody that I encountered had a problem with it. And suddenly, I guess it's, it's mostly, a lot of it comes from America, doesn't it? The right wing, sort of the Republican stance, the, the thing that was uh, emboldened by the Trumps of the world and now in Florida with what's his name, DeSantis. I think that they just want to have more power so they're taking a stance they know they can build a base around. Because all, all, all the reasonable people over to the left, if we, if we want to do right-left, are, are, are happy about it and they're having fun with it. We have, to, we have to stand against something so we can get elected. It's, it's power. It's control. It's, it's things that have nothing to do with why you're doing what you do. It's for fun and to make a living and something you feel comfortable with. Exactly. And oftentimes these people who are so loud about it, it's like this is also something that has nothing to do with you. Like, we're not affecting your life in any way. So you raise your kids, let these people raise them the way they want to raise them, and mind your own effing business. <laughs> like, really, when it comes to it, it's like, why are you so insistent on inserting yourself into other people's lives and telling them what to do and how to raise their own children? It just, like, baffles me. And then there's the other wrinkle, the old, uh, me thinks thou protests too much, and why? Tell me about some acting roles that you would aspire to take on. Um, you, you said that invariably, uh, being a drag performer, you will get cast uh, as that in TV and, and movies and probably television commercials. In a perfect world, if you were offered a role later this day, today, what would it look like? All right. I've got a good answer for that. I haven't written it yet. That's my answer. For the perfect role, I would have to write and create that myself. Because of very, like, I'm very much, I love writing. I love, I've, I've written a solo show. I did a one-woman <laughs> drag country show one time a few years ago. That was lovely. But even when I was making theater, too, uh, like, when I was acting, just acting wasn't really enough. I loved just the whole devising process. I love choreographing stuff, directing. Like, love to have my hand in every single basket. So the perfect role I haven't created yet. 
but some that I would love, I know I mentioned Rocky Horror already. I'm not much of a singer, but feel like I could sing Frankenfurter because that one's just like fun. Um, I also, like I know, I also have complicated feelings about it, but one of those complicated feelings is that I love it so much is like classic texts like Shakespeare and ancient Greek tragedies and stuff. I just like read these stories that are hundreds and sometimes thousands of years old and love seeing things that are still so relevant and just think there's so much fun in readaptation and modernizing of these old classic texts to find what's new and what's different. And uh, I think there's a lot of fun to be had with that, specifically in a lot of Shakespeare's works because he like, has so much fun with cross-dressing and gender and stuff like that. And it's just like, oh my goodness, the fun we could have with this today if people would actually go out and see theater would be like so much fun. I think that you probably have a great singing voice. All you need to do is train it. Uh, get a great vocal coach. Um, I did. There was a time when I was in uh, theater school, I took lessons for a few years. Because when I was younger, I used to be like completely tone deaf. I just didn't understand it and couldn't hear it, didn't get it. And it was just from doing like where I'm from, the community theater to be done was musical theater. I'm like, down, let's do it. That's how I learned how to dance. Great. And just like slowly kind of figured out, like didn't learn how to sing, but learned how to like sing in a chorus a little bit better and not just be like singing my own notes and my own key. <laughs> That's different from everybody else. So I do think that if I did train it, it could be better, but it was just like uh, of acting, singing and dancing. Singing was the one I always struggled with the most and just couldn't really comprehend and was the most self-conscious about. Whereas acting and dance both came easily and naturally to me. So I always like really, really gravitated towards those. A lot of great singers. I mean, not everybody can be Freddie Mercury who has given ridiculous range, but a lot of singers just, just find where they fit in and then they choose songs with keys that suit their voice. And they're considered wonderful singers, but don't take them out of those keys. Oh, you mentioned Rocky Horror a couple of times. And, uh, and, and, and when I was, you know, of age to, to, to start understanding gender and sexuality, you know, 13, 14-ish. I saw your performance on video minutes ago before we came on together today of Sweet Transvestite. How did Rocky Horror affect you when you first saw it? How old were you? Um, I was definitely in high school. I remember somebody told me about it, one of my friends, and then she lent it to me because she had it on DVD. And I, you know what? I, I won't say that it was my first gay boner it was Rocky Horror, but it was one that I'm like, oh, <laughs> like it was an early moment where I kind of realized. And I'll tell you exactly what moment it was. It's this, these two corresponding scenes that are still quite funny and still funny. But it's when like one is Janet in bed behind a screen is just her shadow and one's Brad. And both times Frankenfurter sneaks into their bed dressed up as the other. And uh, I remember watching the first one and it was like Janet. And I was like laughing I'm like, oh my God, this is so funny. And then... The next one came and it was Brad and I was like rock hard. And I was like, oh, oh, wait a minute. I think this might mean something. I'm like, oh, and it was a very clear, like, here he is with a woman and here he is with a man. And now I'm looking back, I'm like, oh yeah. Brad had uh, quite the uh, tidy whities There was a lot going on in there. One of mine was certainly the Sticky Fingers album cover that Warhol uh, um, did for the Rolling Stones. That, that the down the leg shot. At that age, I didn't even understand it. It was the early 70s and I was a little kid. I didn't understand that it could be that big and going down your leg. I, I went out with this wonderful girl who had British parents and I think I was 16 and 
I've never, I've never admitted this before, but I think about it once in a while. Some memories never leave your head, do they, Eric? You had a cousin over or a family friend over from, from London uh, visiting, and it's the heat of summer. It's the heat of July in southern Ontario. And, I, and he hadn't experienced that before, I don't think. He was always in black leather pants, tight, and he was tall and thin and evidently hung and I, 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 this, this, this black leather crotch, I, I, I couldn't even, I couldn't comprehend of what was going on in there. It was like, it was like, it was like the tidy whities but in black leather. And I thought, my God, I, I didn't quite understand, but it was definitely a, an early gay boner. Mm-hmm. Certainly an early bi boner. Bi boner, I love one. Those scenes in Rocky Horror, one with Janet, one with Brad. You got the best of both worlds there. <laughs> I, I really did. I love that. Dora nominated actor with a BFA from York University. Define those, explain those two things. What's a BFA? BFA, a Bachelor of Fine Arts. And what's a, what's a Dora? A Dora Maver Moore Award. They are the Toronto Theatre Awards, basically the Toronto Tonys. And uh, yes, I've been nominated for one, actually. It was uh, this lovely show I did with a few friends of mine. We were kind of all involved in the whole conception of it. We like got together for this rehearsal process and just did a bunch of improvisations and generated material in a studio for like a month. And then the two running the theater company came back to us like eight months later with a script based on all of that. And we were in this festival and did this lovely wackadoo show. That was just so much fun. Um, the two of them are from Woodbridge, Ontario, which if you know anything about Woodbridge, it's quite an Italian town just north of Toronto. And both of them are Italian. Um, both of them are queer as well. And they wrote this show about like all these Woodbridge Italians, a group of boys and a group of girls. And the girls are on Destination Bachelorette and the boys are just on a destination like boys weekend, but they're all accidentally in the same city. And it's all about like like mob mentality and and attack mentality, that kind of thing. And like quite a fun show. And we each play one of the men and one of the women. So there's lots of fun gender bending and just like craziness going on in that. Um, it was a very fun show. And we got nominated for Adora for it, which is fantastic. And we actually just rewound it uh, this winter in Calgary. So it was fun to revisit it after four years, I guess to come back and get us back in the room together and do a remount, revisit these characters. But with all this time that has passed and everything, it was, it was really, really fun. I spent uh, two different uh, tours of duty in, in Calgary, in Alberta, in Southern Alberta. And the thing that I learned early on, it stuck with me, and I'll give it to you, Eric. It's uh, Calgary, Calgary, Gree. It's like Gree, Calgary. I'm from Calgary. I'm going to Calgary. It's like two guys, Al and Gary. They're my two friends, Cal Gary, you know? Everybody thinks me for saying it that way. <laughs> well, that, that's a good bit, my two friends. You could, you could, you could make that comedy as you have. But uh, if you really want to be there and do a performance and fit in, like you, like you've been here a million times, Calgary, Calgary. I still call it Toronto. When people tell me it's pronounced like this, solidified, I will never pronounce it like that, and I'll do it wrong every single time. Oh, you're committed to doing it that way. I call the way I say it uh, a soft tea, the second tea, Toronto, Toronto. I love what you do. I love your attitude. I love your spirit. I have one more thing to, to ask you to express um, and, and express it from your first understanding and, 
and feelings around it and your current understanding of feelings around it. Pride, the parade, the month, the entity that is pride. What does it mean to you, Eric? Ooh, that's a good one. I feel many ways about pride. One, it's amazing. The community that comes together, oh my goodness. The amount of people that come out to support queer people, oh my goodness. The first time I saw that at a pride, I was like, there are more people on this sidewalk than in my hometown, let alone this block, this city, this street, any of that, like the sheer number of people who are here to support queer people, like what? That just blew my mind and was like, both eye and mind opening, like holy. And it is amazing, it's a lot of fun. It's a different experience when you're working Pride as a drag performer. It's much more fun to participate in Pride. I do love Pride, but it's like working retail at Christmas time. You know, we are like, go, go, go. And we make a shitload of money and we have a good time, but I will sleep that first week in July. You can count on that and do all my rest and recovery. So uh, when you're out there this pride, remember we are all having fun, but your queens and kings and monarchs are working hard. So treat them well and be patient with them if they're like, won't stop and take a picture with you <laughs> because sometimes they've got three gigs to get to. But it's amazing and I love it. I wouldn't, like last year was the first pride that we had in Toronto in years, it felt overwhelming just because when I was back out on the street, I was like, I forgot what this was like. And I felt like everyone was especially excited. Everyone came out. Those streets were packed. So this year I'm like more mentally prepared for it because I'm like experienced it. And even when we finished it last year, I'm like, okay, okay, I'm ready for next year. Like I, I can do next year again. I just need to get like one at the game. So it will be fun. It will be good. I'm, I'm quite excited for it. And it's the best time of year. It truly is. Jumping off of that, two things. If someone's listening, thinking, I really want to go, and I've never been down to Church Street, I've never been to the Pride Parade down Young Street, I would say go to Woody's. I would say go to Cruise and Tango's. What would you say? What's lovely about Pride is that the entire street will be closed off, and it will be street fair. So you could, even if you didn't want to go inside an establishment, you could just walk up and down the street and see all kinds of stuff. I'm not sure if they have outdoor stages and stuff this year, but they used to have a lot of them where you have DJ sets and drag performances and burlesque performances and all kinds of stuff just happening on these stages out on the street. But I would say definitely walk up and down the street and just experience all of it. I'm a big fan of Woody's. I would say go in and check out Woody's. It is Toronto's oldest gay bar. So, you know, it's historic and love it there. Um, it's also massive, so you probably have a good chance of getting in and you won't have to wait in line for too long. That's the other thing. You're probably going to have line. Um, but yeah, there's tons of, of amazing events outside of Church Street too and just kind of all around the city uh, as we go throughout the month. So I would definitely recommend just doing some research and seeing what events look interesting to you. I know there's a party at the Aquarium I've been to before that was a lot of fun. They do stuff out on boats, out on Lake Ontario. There are beach parties. Like There's stuff happening all over the city all month long, so you can definitely find something. After July the 16th, 2023, if you're listening after the date that I've just said, forgive me, but I have to say for the people that are hearing it before that date, I have the distinct pleasure of having been set up to co-host an open mic stage at Collingwood Pride on July 16th, all afternoon, with you, with Lucy Flawless. I've hosted so many things, but I've never hosted a Pride event. Tell me what my homework is. Love it. I'm so excited. Looking forward to it. I actually host an open stage every Friday. 
So this is like right up my alley. I'm like, oh, this is going to be so much fun. It's going to be great. I find with hosting these open stages, a lot of times it's like, you know, we'll do our thing. We'll introduce each person. And it is just like, all right, we're going to bring our next entertainer on. Let's build them up as much as we fucking can. Give them at one hell of an intro. Like, I just love, oh my God, let's come up with like a good lit intro that makes the audience go wild before they even come up on stage and then do the same afterwards. And you know, it's just a lovely, like positive role to play because it is like, okay, I'm here, I'm the host. I'm going to be, make sure everyone out there is smiling. Everyone backstage is smiling. Everybody's comfortable on stage or they can come out and do their best. And in between, we'll just tell jokes and I don't know, do a shot or two and make sure everyone's having a good time. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. And we have the best DJ. Uh, he was a Toronto guy who moved up here, DJ F Sharp, Sam Fleming, who, who DJed everywhere in Toronto, but at Supermarket in particular. So he's excited to meet you and, and to do this with us. So we, we're all set. Thank you. Where am I going to see you before that so I can see you host one of these? All over the place for Toronto Pride. I will be in the parade. You can see me maybe on some posters and billboards around. I'm a recent Crest model. I'm the face of Crest for their Pride campaign this year. Um, you can check that out. Every Friday, I host an open stage at Flash on Church Street in Toronto. It used to be a strip club, but now they've opened it up, so it's a regular club. Downstairs for everybody, just a strip club upstairs. We have an open stage every Friday. It's lovely. It's from 8 to 10 o'clock. We have a lovely, lovely group, a little community of entertainers to come out every week to support each other and entertain and perform. It's like really, really fabulous. One of my favorite shows to do. And other than that, if you want to keep up with me, follow me on the socials. I am at the Lucy Flawless, and I always post about my upcoming shows. Eric Rich, otherwise known as Lucy Flawless, uh, such a pleasure to, to to see you here today, to to hear your voice. I'll see you throughout Pride. Thank you so much, and I'm very much looking forward to Collingwood Pride, the whole Pride season this summer. It'll be fun. Come on, let's go to the Blue Hotel. The Blue Hotel Podcast, just about every Thursday at midnight Eastern. Follow, listen, enjoy, rate, review, share, repeat. Till next time, I'm Jeff Woods. to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.